The BSN Nuggets podcast is presented by InWeGo. It's Denver's best subscription, which also allows you to go to as many events as you can for only $39 a month. No additional costs or fees either. Just 39 bucks a month for literally hundreds of events in and around Denver. For instance, here's what you guys could hit up over the next few weeks with InWeGo. Nuggets vs. Nets, Friday night at Pepsi Center, beer flights at Prost Brewing, CU vs. Washington State this coming weekend, comedy shows at Comedy Works, so much more. There's literally something for everyone on In We Go. If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that In We Go can get you in. So here's where it gets really good for you guys. We've actually partnered with In We Go to give BSN listeners a great deal. If you go to inwego.com backslash BSN, or if you download the app for free and use promo code BSN50, when you subscribe, you're actually going to get 50% off your first month. That's right. All those events I just listed, hundreds more in Denver for under 20 bucks during that first month. If you try it, you're going to fall in love with it. So again, go to inwego.com backslash BSN or download the app for free. Use promo code BSN50. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He turns out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. As always, the BSN Nuggets podcast is presented by InWeGo, the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver. Brand new show, Thursday edition of the pod. Harrison Wind here. I've got Christian Clark across the table from me. 24 hours removed from a tough loss in Memphis where Denver failed to reach 90 points. A lot to get to on today's show. I gave you guys most of my thoughts, however jumbled they might have been, on the Wednesday post-game show. So if you haven't checked that out, be sure to download it on iTunes, Stitcher, bsendeavor.com, wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll talk about Jokic's game and the offense uh, some more on today's show. It's a tough subject to talk about, I think, and maybe that's why I felt like some of my thoughts were jumbled last night because stuff like this, it's not just one magic potion as Mike Malone likes to say, when looking for some answers or when looking for the reasons deep down why the offense, although which has been playing at a top 10 level so far this year, just doesn't seem like the same it was last year and why Jokic went 0 of 1 from the field last night or the other night and didn't really want to shoot the ball, it seemed. I want to get your thoughts on Jokic. I'll do that in a couple minutes. But first, let's start out with the offense, kind of from a high-level view. What I said on the show last night was the overarching theme that I saw develop in Memphis was it seemed like Nikola Jokic was trying to make a statement that he wasn't happy with the offense. And what I've seen with the offense over the course of this season is, yeah, it's been effective, but 
something just seems different and it's tough to quantify. It might even be impossible to quantify, but the offense seems more deliberate than it does last year. That's a word I used on last night's show a lot. Just seems like there's more structure to it than last year. And I don't even necessarily think that means more play calls, more sets called in from the sidelines. Like I said, it's just hard to describe, but just seems more rigid. And maybe, I don't know, I'm just speculating, but maybe that's what Jokic is not thrilled with. What are your thoughts on just the state of the Nuggets offense right now? Well, you're right about that. I mean, it's just so easy to tell when the Nuggets are in rhythm offensively. I mean, everybody is cutting hard. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's almost like a dance. I remember Zach Lowe called the Hawks offense on that 61 team Hawks ballet. It, mm. It's almost like a ballet sort of when everything is working for the Nuggets offensively. Um, I mean, they don't play in anything, but there's just a beautiful you know, almost structure despite the lack, lack of structure to it. And clearly they're not in that zone right now. I mean, if, if you look at the Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Torrey Craig, Paul Millsap, Nicole Jokic starting five, that group is scoring at a 98.6 points per 100 possessions rate right now. That's pitiful, uh, especially for, uh, you know, a group headlined by Nicole Jokic. You'd never expect that. That's a that's a really really poor mark, especially when you know everybody seems to be scoring like 108 points per 100 possessions or above in today's NBA. So that's like a mark of a Chicago Bulls or a Cleveland Cavaliers. Like the Nuggets five that's been starting games for them is playing offense at that type of rate, which is like you said, unthinkable when you think. That Jokic is on the floor, and I've said so many times before, you put Jokic on the floor, you surround him by four other mediocre to like average or slightly above average players, you're going to feel the top 10 offense. So the fact that that five has struggled ha- has been surprising to me. Uh, yeah, it has been a little bit of, surpri- of a surprise. Um, if you just look at Nikola Jokic's field goal attempts the last six games, He's attempted single-digit field goals uh, in five of those. Um, they go 8, 20, 5, 9, 3, and 1. So this is really something that's been building for a while, and you know everybody's talking about it because he just took the one, the, the game-winning attempt that, that hit off the back rim. But, I mean, this is kind of something that, that's been building for a while, and yeah. look, I don't think you should exclusively place blame on Nikola Jokic for this. I don't think you should exclusively place blame on you know the environment in which he's being asked to operate in. I think it's a little bit of both. And you know the environment, what does that mean? I would say you know I'm seeing two big issues with the Nuggets offense right now besides Nikola Jokic not just you know pushing past that adversity and dominating. Number 1 is Torrey Craig is out there and He's just not attempting jump shots. He's made three shots outside of five feet this season. That's killing just the spacing of the Nuggets offense. I mean, we I think that's something we re- really first saw in that Lakers game where LeBron is playing free safety, and we saw a little bit more of that uh, in this Grizzlies game. There's not a whole lot of room to operate in because the help is shading so far. And I think number two is that there aren't as many guys there need to be out there who can get Nikola Jokic the ball in his spots. I think Will Barton is probably the best on this team besides Monte Morris getting Nikola Jokic the, the ball in the spots he likes to operate from. So that's what I mean when I say the environment. I totally agree. Those are a couple of great points there. The 
issues with the offense that you mentioned, I agree. They've been developing for a while, and maybe they got swept under the rug a little bit because the Nuggets rattled off a 9-1 start to the regular season. I think some of those issues, they were well-known. We've been talking about them a little bit on the podcast, but more so off-air throughout the first few weeks of the regular season. We've been aware of them. I'm sure the Nuggets have, but the fact that they've been winning maybe push those to the side for you know a couple of weeks and saying, yeah, we're winning, everything's fine, we'll figure that stuff out. But now it really came to a head the other night in Memphis, and now they have to address it probably. The issue with Torrey Craig, I totally agree with. If you just go back and watch last night's game, there's so many examples of Torrey Craig's defender shading off of him and just sagging into the paint, giving help on Nikola Jokic's guy, which Memphis did a lot, which Boston did, which a lot of teams have been doing. And so that's an issue as well. And yeah, the the problem of not getting the ball to Jokic where he's most effective, we've seen that at times too. And I said this on last night's show, but Jamal Murray hasn't really done a good job of that. And it's been pretty obvious the last couple games where he struggled just point guarding. And it's not like a do or die issue because Jokic is this team's point guard and Jamal Murray's a more of a natural scorer, but he's got to do it a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, that, that is probably the biggest area in Jamal Murray's game. You look at right now that he needs to improve in, and obviously you take that flaw because he's such a gifted scorer. Yeah. I mean, there, there just aren't that many Jamal Murray's out there. So I mean, you still love the player, that flaw and all. But, yeah, that that is one area of his game that he needs to improve on. Um, and I would say for Nikola Jokic, too, um, you know, he's a guy that really likes to feel like he's in rhythm. He's such a rhythm player, mm-hmm. I, I think. You know, he gets easily bothered when he feels like, I mean, guys are disrupting that rhythm around him, I would say. You know, I think he does just need to kind of suck it up at this point, to be honest with you, for a lack of a better term. Like, you're a max player now, and part of your job is, you know, to play well and carry this team even when times are tough. I mean, even when, you know, the lineups around you probably could be better. I mean, even when you don't feel great with your shot. So, I mean, there there are a couple of those threes last night where it's like, just shoot the ball, man. I I mean, just do it. But... You know, I, I can see the the other point, too, where I think Jokic is going to look a lot better. Um, I mean, even if you just put, like, a Wancho Hernan Gomez in there, something as simple as that. Yeah, let's talk about that. So we've approached this subject on the last few shows this week. I've been pretty adamant that I thought a loss would be what it would take for the Nuggets to change their starting lineup. Now that that's happened, and it happened in the fashion that it did in Memphis where the Nuggets had no offensive flow throughout that game. I believe we'll see a new starting lineup Friday against Brooklyn. I think Wancho Hernan Gomez is going to be in there at starting small forward. It would be his first start of the year. He's, I think he's played really well over the past couple games. I was a bit surprised he didn't play more, to be quite honest, against Memphis. I thought the Nuggets could have really used their offense, and I don't even think he got in the first quarter. I think it took until the second quarter for him to get in there. But I would think he starts, and I 
believe that's going to open things up a bit for this Nuggets offense and Nicole Jokic. We've spoken about why he's such a good fit in the starting lineup, his ability to shoot. Look, you've got to respect his jumper for sure. I mean, I know he doesn't have a ton of made threes under his belt this year, but he's a really gifted shooter. He is a plus shooter as a defender. You've got to respect his shot. And you don't have to do that with Torrey Craig right now. So that's going to help. And I also feel like he plays really well off of Nikola Jokic, just in terms of his cutting, his off-ball movement, his passing. And I think he's maybe a little bit of an underrated defender in terms of his length, his ability to protect the rim. We've seen him have a couple good defensive moments at the rim blocking shots this year. So I expect him to be in there. I think it's going to help the Nuggets offense. What are your thoughts on that? I agree with pretty much everything you said there. I mean, just by putting Wancho in there for, for Torrey Craig, you're going from two players in the starting lineup who are really seamless fits playing Jokic ball, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, to three players who are, are seamless fits playing Jokic ball. You know, I don't think it's a seamless fit between Jokic and Millsap. I think they make it work. And, you know, what Millsap brings on the defensive side of the floor, I mean, that's what makes it a killer combination. But, yeah, I mean, I think things would look significantly better just by putting Wancho in there. Um, he, he's already had a game this year where he made five threes. You you absolutely have to respect that shot. He gets it off quick. Um, he hits the glass really hard, too. Yep. I mean, he had that, that clutch offensive rebound mm-hmm. in that Memphis game Similar on the free to throw. a lot of those Torrey Craig-type offensive rebounds, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he definitely brings you some of that on the offensive glass. But, I mean, look, you know, I don't think there's, like – any reason to panic after this Memphis game too. I mean, it was ugly. It was frustrating if you're a Nuggets fan, but the fact that they're nine and two and they haven't had Will Barton for, for nine of these games, I think is a huge plus at this point. I mean, to some degree, you just have to take a step back and realize like, Hey, we're still in a great spot too. For sure. I began Wednesday show with the PSA, a public service announcement aimed at a lot of Nuggets fans who, might be overreacting a tad to last night's loss. And my message was, Nuggets are 9-2 and with the second-best defense in the league and a top-10 offense. Yeah, things aren't ironed out on the offensive end of the floor like they probably should be right now. But like this team is in a pretty good spot, especially considering the fact they haven't had Will Barton. Nobody expected them to start 9-2. and But the thing about starting 9-2 and is locally, nationally, expectations are through the roof right now. And I think that's a good thing, but it's also going to lead to some overreactions when the Nuggets do have bad games like this. And we'll talk about this in the next segment, but I think Nicole Jokic is going to have a huge game against Brooklyn and we'll probably forget about what happened against Memphis for you know the next time until maybe that happens again, which I'm sure it will. That's how long the NBA season is. Jokic will have nights similar to what he's done over the past four games, probably at some point again this season. So it's just important to keep that perspective. Some quick lineup stats here on what we think might be the Nuggets starting lineup Friday with Wancho. Those five, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Wancho, Paul Millsap, Nicole Jokic, have played 17 minutes together this season. 114.6 offensive rating. 84.6 defensive rating, 30 net rating, and just some offensive stats. When those five have been on the floor, that group has shot 60% from the field, 16 of 27 on field goals, 
5 of 11 from beyond the arc, 45.5% from three-point range. So that group has scored and scored really effectively and played good defense as well. And hey, an opponent like Brooklyn, that might be a good chance to trot those five out to get some positive momentum and, and like feel good about themselves. It's almost like when you fire a coach right before a really easy part in your schedule just to get the interim guy in there and just lift everybody's spirits a little. I don't know. Maybe that type of thing will happen Friday. Let's go ahead and take a break real quick. More talk about Jokic's night on the other side and what we're going to expect from him Friday against the Brooklyn Nets. We'll be right back. Are you in search of natural relief from your daily stresses? Well, Strava Craft Coffee is a CBD-rich, hemp oil-infused coffee that is non-psychoactive, helps reduce pain naturally, keeps those coffee jitters away, and so much more. I started drinking it because I have degenerative arthritis, and I would prefer to drink coffee that has natural ingredients in it for healing, and this coffee treats the inflammatory process that happens from having degenerative arthritis. That was Robin. She's been drinking Strava Craft coffee every day for months now, and she is so happy with the results. I would recommend it to America, to everyone, because it is a fantastic product. It delivers, it does what it says it's going to do, and it's amazing. Put your body back in balance with Strava Craft Coffee and see how good you feel. Order online today and use promo code BSN2018 for 20% off. That's BSN2018. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast, Thursday edition of the show. Harrison Wynn, Christian Clark here. I want to touch on Jokic's play from the other night for a few more minutes before we shift into what to expect Friday against Brooklyn. I want to get more of your take because I've probably bored you guys with what I've thought. Something else that I've really been thinking about over the past day and the past few hours when it comes to Jokic's play last night, like... What I said in the podcast yesterday, it looked like he was trying to make a statement and just actively not shoot. He was still playmaking. He was still passing. He was still making good decisions. But the fact that he barely looked at the rim last night is something that certainly stands out. And that's different than who he normally is. Right? Like we've seen him pass up shots before. We've seen him pass up good shots for better shots. And he was doing that to an extent last night. But the fact that he barely looked the rim and he wasn't a threat on the floor really hurt Denver more than anything, I thought. Like, you saw Marcus All barely even consider him a threat guarding him. Like, he was backing off him. He was playing him for the pass. It was just weird how Jokic didn't look at the rim last night. Yeah, and I think the elephant in the room that we really haven't broached yet is it's hard to know how much, you know, the fine that they came down on Nicole Jokic yesterday could have affected him. Um, after a game against the Chicago Bulls, Jokic was fined for using what the league called derogatory and offensive language. I'm not going to bring up what he, what he said right now. If you guys want to look at that video, um, you, it's pretty easy to go find it. I think if you watch it, it, I think it's clear to me that Jokic didn't say it with any hate in his heart. Um, I think it was just kind of an off-the-cuff remark. But, you know, I, I agree with the league's stance that 
that's not something they can tolerate. But it's just really difficult to know how much that might have affected him. Jokic didn't make any public comments. He did delete his Twitter and Instagram for what it's worth. So that could have been at least a contributing factor um, at the bare minimum. Well, it's, it's tough. Imagine if you were fined... I don't know what's the equivalent of $25,000 for us, like $100. Maybe it's even less than that, 50 bucks. Imagine you were fined 50 bucks for something you did at your job and the whole world knew about it. I feel like that would affect my work performance a little bit. Would it, aff- would it affect yours? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could have felt like I, you know, put my team in an embarrassing light. I would feel embarrassed. I would feel a lot of regret and remorse. I'm sure Jokic did. I feel it could have affected him last night, just his overall mood, his overall spirit. And we didn't see that same spirit from Jokic. We haven't really seen it over the past few games. Let's talk about what we're expecting from him Friday against Brooklyn, because I think he's going to have a huge game. And why I think he's going to have a huge game is we've seen him have patterns like he has had over the last four games before in his career. I think back to the three-game stretch last season in early March when Jokic had nine points on two of five shooting against the Grizzlies, nine points on three of eight shooting against Cleveland, and then four points on two of nine shooting and got benched in the second half of that loss in Dallas on March 6th. Around that time, him and Paul Millsap met Paul Millsap pretty much said, hey, Nicola, you know, you're our system. We need to run everything through you. Him and Michael Malone met around that time. And after that Dallas game, Jokic rebounds with one of his best games of his career. 36 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists on 12 of 14 shooting in 34 minutes against Cleveland. He goes on from that game to have what I thought was the best month of basketball that he's played in the NBA and puts Denver on his shoulders to a near playoff appearance. I could see a similar thing happening this time around because the patterns and the similarities between what's happened over the last four games and what happened over those three games, and maybe four, because if you want to lump in a fourth game there, it was the one before that three where Denver lost against the Clippers. Uh, That was Paul Millsap's first game back. That was the Boban game. He wasn't great in that game either. Only took five field goal attempts. So you could even lump that game in. But I see a similarity between that stretch of games and what he's done over Denver's last four games where he's had single-digit shot attempts in all of them. He's scored in single digits in all four. I think he could break out. And you know the Nuggets are going to try to get him the ball in the post where he's most effective However healthy or unhealthy it might be, they'll try to force feed him. I'm sure they'll try to call a lot of plays for him in the first quarter to get him going. So, look, these last three, four games have been rough. If I'm betting one way or another, I'm expecting him to really break out against Brooklyn. Yeah, he had a 41-point game against Brooklyn last season, too, in the early part of the year. It's a team he's played pretty well against. I was honestly really surprised that we didn't see Juancho in the starting lineup in Memphis, um, just because it seemed like that Boston game w- was such a tipping point. I mean, Torrey Craig only played two minutes and 44 seconds. He missed the only two shots he took. Wancho started after halftime, and 
you know, Michael Malone was asked about that change after the game. He said, we could not sco- score the ball to start the game. Literally two minutes into the game, I subbed Tori out and Wanch went in just to give us some spacing. I thought that that was a tipping point, but maybe it was just going to take a loss for it to be a tipping point, uh, kind of like you said. It was. It, it takes losses for things to really change. Things like this to really change. It, it takes losses in the NBA. When you're winning games like the Nuggets are, when you're Michael Malone, who gets off to a 9-1 start, obviously with the team, probably playing the best ball when you talk about the combination of offense and defense that they've played over the last three years, right or wrong, you're probably not going to do anything to risk halting that momentum, right? Like You're winning games, even though it's not pretty, you're getting W's, and that's really all that matters in the NBA. How many times have we seen Michael Malone say, yeah, I really don't care uh, if we win by 20 against the Warriors or win by two against the Phoenix Suns? A win is a win. And so I really, truly did believe, and I guess I was right, that it was going to take a loss for things to change. And that's why I don't think a loss was the worst thing in the world. Maybe a bit of a reality check could be good for this team. They've been flying high all year, nine and two with wins over the Warriors, wins over the Clippers on the road, who have proved to be a decent team already this season, win over the Jazz, who were the trendy pick for three or maybe even the two seed this year. This team was flying high. So maybe a little bit of a reality check is a good thing. Yeah, it, it had to happen at some point, right? Right, right. Yeah. Let's hit another break real quick. We'll talk about another storyline that's flying under the radar a little bit, and it's been one of the bright spots for the Nuggets this season. We'll be right back. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out Elixinol.com. And we're back on the BSN Nuggets podcast, Thursday edition of the show. Harrison Wynn, Christian Clark here. Of course, the BSN Nuggets podcast is always presented by In We Go. The Nuggets bench is flying under the radar, I believe, and it's been one of the bright spots and been one of the storylines for the team this year. For my money, and I'm curious to get your take on this, for my money, the most important player on the Nuggets bench unit is Monte Morris. And if you're looking at this bench unit this year compared to the bench unit last year, there's been a huge shift, and there's a lot of reasons why, but... 
if you're looking for one and one reason that I know this Nuggets bench unit is better this year than it was last year, it's the point guard play. Monte Morris has been so solid at backup point guard. He's had great chemistry with Mason Plumbing in the pick and roll. He's getting the ball to Trey Lyles, who's really feeling himself on offense over these past few games in the post where he's been most effective on mismatches. He's running his unit so well. And the Nuggets had a huge void at backup point guard last year. They addressed it at the trade deadline, but I don't think it's crazy to say that Monte Morris right now is playing at a higher level than Devin Harris was last year, is it? I don't think there's any question, to be honest with you. I can't believe – I mean, I can believe it because I I watched him play at Summer League and I I was super high at him, you know, right after that. But this is Monte Morris' first time in an NBA rotation. I mean, he didn't – I mean, he played a a handful last year, but but not really. He wasn't in the rotation for an extended amount of time – I mean, it's pretty remarkable how well he's played. And, I mean, the Nuggets' backup point guard play this year compared to the last, it's just a night and day difference. I mean, Monte Morris is a guy who makes everyone around him look, I don't know, 10 or 15% better. And Emmanuel Moutier is probably a guy who makes everybody around him look 15 or 20% better or 20% worse. I think you're right. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. We knew about the on-off splits with Moutier last year. We knew about the plus-minus that he had. That yeah. wasn't a secret. The Nuggets knew about it. We knew about it. And eventually it got so bad where they had to move on. But, yes, Monte Morris has played winning basketball for this team so far. Yeah, I mean, I think they would have been in the playoffs if Monte had just been the backup point guard that last year. And, hey, I don't I don't blame the team at all for wanting to get one last look at Moutier. Sure, just his number like, seven pick. You yeah. invested a lot of money and time and a high draft pick in him. Yeah, yeah. And and they got their answer. And Monte Morris is looks like he's going to be a valuable rotation piece on this team for a long, long time. The chemistry he has with Mason Plumlee is pretty remarkable. They hooked up for a couple of those alley-oops last night. And I feel like I got to pat myself on the back here a little bit. I wrote like a bench preview before the start of the regular season. And I said, you know, that connection was going to be one to look out for. Those two guys have fantastic chemistry with one another. And maybe that's another reason why Mason Plumlee looks so much better this year, that he's got a capable backup point guard, a pure point guard, a distributing pass-first guy who looks to set his teammates up that he's playing a majority of his minutes with. He didn't have that last year, even though Denver got by with Devin Harris and got by as well when Will Bart was playing backup point guard, but he didn't have that true point guard to play alongside with. So for my money, Monte has been the most important bench guy and is the biggest reason why this bench unit looks leaps and bounds better than it did last year. I think you could make a case for Mason Plumlee because A, he's been effective as a rim runner and lob threat, but B, he's also been really good as a defender. Trey Lyles, after some struggles early in the season, the first couple games is getting really comfortable on that end of the floor. It seems like he's finding his three-point stroke. And yeah, Malik Beasley and Wancho have kind of filled in the gaps uh, here and there. But give me Monte for my money. Yeah, I would would probably go with Mason Plumlee. And Monte is perfectly acceptable answer in my book. But Mason Plumlee has been phenomenal on both ends this year. Um, Just doing a great job as a rim-running center on the offensive end, and he's been fantastic defensively. I mean, his his on-off defensive numbers are are pretty incredible. 
Um, I mean, I think you can make a case he's been the Nuggets' second or third best defender this year. Paul Millsap, clearly number one. You know, probably Gary Harris, number two. And then I think you could even have Mason Plumlee, number three. Not Nikola Jokic, number three, maybe? I, I don't know, man. Mason Plumlee has been fantastic He's this been really year. good. Um, he's, he's the per 36 minutes leader in steals. He's doing a really good job of contesting at the rim. He's just blowing up picking rolls this year, too. I wrote a, a foam room on... You know some of the differences with with the defense and yeah, make sure to check that out on bsendeavor.com. A great look at what's been clicking for the Nuggets defense so far. He's been a monster, blowing up those pick and rolls and getting his hands on everything. I mean, it's been it's been a great start to the year for him and Mason Plumlee. I mean, he's a guy you feel good that he's doing good too because he's such a good teammate. I mean, he's so happy for his teammate's success. I believe, and this opinion was kind of cemented in this game against the Grizzlies, I get the feeling that Wancho has jumped Malik Beasley in the pecking order off Denver's bench. I think Malik played a couple really good games for this team. He played a couple games where he played around 30 minutes per game. Had some really bright spots in terms of his shot and his defense as well. I just still get the feeling that the trust isn't completely there like it's there with Torrey Craig. And like, I think it's getting there uh, with Wancho. I'm moving Malik Beasley down in kind of the pecking order of those three right now. Yeah. uh, I think he's had some really good moments this year. There are still a couple of those times where, you know, he has those brain farts, those, you know, inexplicable turnovers. And I think he's slowly beating those out of his game, but they still crop up from time to time. Yeah, so we'll see what happens here Friday against Brooklyn. Like I said, for my money, I'm betting on Nicole Jokic to have a big bounce back game. What's kind of your read on what we should expect from Jokic or what you're expecting from Jokic here Friday? Yeah, I think I'm with you. I'm I'm predicting a triple-double. Okay. Think a 20-point triple-double. 20-point triple-double. I could see it. I mean, he's... He's walked into them before. He hasn't over these last four games. But my concern level with him, it's not too high right now, but there definitely still is some concern. The fact that it's kind of been like this for four games and he actively looked not to shoot last game. It was a big red flag for sure. It wasn't something you can just sweep under the rug. It's definitely something you've got to address. You can't just chalk it up to, hey, this was one random game in Memphis because we've seen this to an extent over the last three games, and we saw it front and center against the Grizzlies. I mean, it was unavoidable watching that game not to look and say, Nikola Jokic just isn't looking. It's not just that he's not looking to shoot. He's not looking at the rim. He's not a threat on the offensive end of the floor. And so it really came to a head against the Grizzlies. So, I mean, my concern, there's a little concern there. If he's that same player against Brooklyn, my concern probably doubles or triples because, look, they're coming back home against a team like the Nets. This is the type of game where he's got to pull out of it. So if he doesn't show some signs of rediscovering his former self or his self from earlier this season on the offensive end of the floor – yeah, I think that probably warrants definitely even more concern. But we'll see what happens Friday. You got anything else before we get out of here? 
Looking forward to it. Should be a great crowd at Pepsi Center on a Friday night and a fresh new court design, too. A fresh new court design to go with the Nuggets Mile High City alternate jerseys. Let's get a quick uniform ranking from both of us before we get out of here. The home and aways, the alternate Mile High Cities, and the rainbow skylines. I want a one through four power ranking from you. Worst to best, or your least preferable to most preferable jerseys. Worst to best. I don't think there are any bad jerseys, to be honest with you. I I like the look of most of them. I don't think so either. The Nuggets have awesome jerseys. They have some of the best jerseys in the league, top to bottom. Yeah, I would probably go regular homes, then aways, then the Mile High City jerseys, and then the Rainbow Skylines, number one. Although it's pretty dang close between the Mile High City and the Rainbow Skylines because they're both sexy. When the Mile High City ones came out, I was like, wow, those are the freshest uniforms in the league. Now that the Rainbow Skylines come out, those are now the freshest uniforms in the league. I will go four to one. The roads, the regular road ones, the blues are my least favorite. Then the whites, then Mile High City, then give me the Rainbow Skylines on top. I can't wait to see them. They're so awesome. They're incredible. Nuggets are making all the right moves this year. All right, let's get out of here. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back another episode on Friday. We're recording from Blake Street Tavern after Nuggets shoot around. If you guys are in the area, you want to come down, have a beer on us. Yes, a beer on us, midday Friday. Start your weekend a little early. Come down, hang out, talk Nuggets with us. We'll be there Friday afternoon. Thanks for listening, guys. Talk with you soon.